Hi there. Thanks for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is the show where two old friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order, then convene to talk about what they saw. Now, people who have downloaded this one know that we're not talking about an episode because we have finished talking about Generation 1 Transformers, but we are going to conclude our coverage by talking about all the characters we meet season to season, and we're talking about the season 4 Decepticons. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host is named Hoover. Hey, Hoover. I'm excited about this one because I know that we both have lots of nice things to say about these characters, don't we? Well, a couple of them anyway. (laughs) And that's probably better and more than we can say for the season four Autobots. So, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did our best, <laughs> but it felt like it was a lot of spade work in that one. This one, there'll be a little less because, yeah, we, we had a little bit more to go on with these guys. As, as longtime listeners of the show know, season four was very short. A zillion characters were trying it out, so we really didn't get to know anybody, but we got tastes. We got little tiny tidbits, right? <laughs> so, and, and we found out that we were like pleasantly surprised by some of these tidbits. So you want to just dive in and start talking about them? Let's dive in and begin with the Decepticon Target Masters. Starting with Trigger Happy. With his Nebulon partner, Blowpipe. Now this guy, I've stared at his original toy pictures online. I'm still not sure whether I had him. Hmm. I feel like I had two of the Target Masters, and one of them I know for sure I had, but... I'm just looking at him, and I don't really have many memories of him if I did have him. So if I had him, mm. he didn't really impress me, and he just sort of like sat in my toy box. But if I did have him, this was yet another purchase from the comic book store, who apparently bought someone's like whole collection that came from that year, because that's where I got a lot of my Headmasters and a couple of Target Masters. Hmm. But looking at him, I just can't conjure up like memories of playing with him. So maybe I had him, maybe I didn't. I'm not sure. Hmm. Hey, what kind of what kind of jet is he? I mean, we should describe his his, his vehicle mode. <laughs> Future jet, blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with like Cyclonus wings, it's got like the backward sweeping wings, mm-hmm. right? Which like this feels like very of that time. Like he had Cyclonus, he had Trigger Happy, he had the GI Joe Conquest X30. Right. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like it was a thing that the Cobra Condor came out like a year later, which yep. had the, the, the reverse sweeping wings. So there's just something about like the wings going the other way just feels like future. <laughs> <laughs> but also he's got like these gigantic four barrel cannons on his sides. Right. Like the wings are interrupted by these gigantic guns. So hence the name Trigger Happy. Or are they thrusters because they're like pointing to the back of his wings? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a future design. We'll find out in the future. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and I mean, he's got like the the, the royal blue and gray, and then mm-hmm. with like some gold accents. So I mean, you got to be loving the color scheme on this guy. Yeah, he looks he looks a nice color wise. It's a very dark royal blue with a lot of white, and I feel that's a pretty good combo. Mm. Now, of course, we only had three episodes to get used to any of these guys. But I feel that this guy is pretty interesting mm. in that we, we've talked a little bit about him in one of the Rebirth episodes, mm. but I'll just read this part of his text back. 
usually too busy laughing uncontrollably and drooling out oil to look where he's shooting. Loves the sound of his guns blasting away, wild and unpredictable. So, as we stated before in one of the Rebirth episodes, having a crazy villain is nothing new. Right, right. But for Transformers, it's a little new. Yeah. Because we didn't really have a lot of crazy Decepticons. There was, like, Mixmaster. Yeah. that was kind of it. Everyone else was just, like, a good troop. You know, calm, mm. followed orders. Unless you were Starscream and you were just like, I want to be leader, you know? Right, right. So to inject a sort of stereotypical crazy villain into the Decepticons, I think, is an interesting take. Yeah, it wasn't until you pointed out that we'd never had that in the series before that like, I suddenly was like, oh, okay, that feels fresh all of a sudden. Because when I encountered him watching Rebirth as a younger person, I was like, man, I feel like I've seen this a zillion times. Mm-hmm. The wild character who just like starts shooting up the place and is laughing maniacally with that Charlie Adler laugh. Yeah. <laughs> but so he, he like did not appeal to me at all. I felt like <laughs> as, as a very sophisticated 13-year-old, I was like, lame, seen it before. But yes, in the context of the Seeker history, there's never been somebody like him before. And there's something about like now that Galvatron is kind of unhinged, it's letting in a different kind of class mm. of villains into yeah. the team. Whereas like Megatron was a little bit more regimented. You know, right. Skywarp even says, I, can I please teleport? Yes, you can teleport. Right. <laughs> there was infighting and bickering like siblings when Megatron wasn't around, but there wasn't anybody who was we'd, where we'd put in the bucket of like the Joker on right, the Decepticons right. before. And I would even say Mixmaster is more quirky than insane, right? Mm. He's more of like a like a mentally stumbling weirdo, you know. But he's not like he's not the Joker. He, you, right. I would never see a p- picture of Mixmaster holding a, ca- a camera sideways saying "smile," you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so with that context, it's like suddenly I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm interested. Like, how how will that work in the Decepticon? And it's a bummer that. In season four, David Weiss really just like lost the notes on Cyclonus because like I feel like <laughs> that's where the real friction would happen. Mm. Like you, you get somebody like Trigger Happy next to say Starscream's Ghost era Cyclonus, yeah, right. That could be cool. So yeah, he, he offers promise. Yeah, none of these Decepticon Seekers like held any appeal to me when I was a kid. I like I saw them in the catalog. And I was like, eh, but. Like after watching the show and and talking through it with you, I'm suddenly like, oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 Decepticon curious now, Hoover. <laughs> well, as as you've heard, Jersey's calling them seekers, and I sort of think of them in that way, even though they're not in the traditional seeker body type, because it's the future now. Right. So right. I mean they're not all the same and but they do come in threes. Just yeah. like Thrusters and Ramjet, and just like Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp. So they feel like sort of the new iteration of Seekers. Yeah. And once I started thinking about them that way, they appealed to me a lot more. And there's something that's really neat about this generation all being, yeah, it's it's a three it's it's a threesome of Decepticons, but they're all individuals mm-hmm. unlike like you get that with Th- thrusters and ramjet they're like expressing themselves a little bit more <laughs> yeah we have different wings <laughs> whoa so wild but now they're like entirely different body types and different transformations which mm-hmm. 
you know, they didn't have to do that. That's actually like, wow, that feels like a gift, Hasbro. Why would why would I just release three trigger happies in different colors? Yeah, yeah it feels like by nineteen eighty seven they were like <laughs> they were like, Okay, we're making so much money on this toy line. Let's not repaint anything anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're peeling off for a few friends. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Hasbro. <laughs> you're flush with cash. <laughs> but just a tiny note about his Nebulon partner, Blowpipe. It says mm. on his tech spec that Blowpipe is the envious brother-in-law of Lord Zarek. So that's something that we never got to really take in. In the cartoon, yeah. at least, maybe it was addressed in the comic book. I don't remember. But... <laughs> I I love the idea of them introducing like in law faction fighting in a kid's toy line. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can assure you, I I already mentioned I have a lot of siblings. I had a lot of cousins too, and <laughs> or I have a lot of cousins. I should say, <laughs> and uh, I didn't think about in laws. Like ever, there's like my uncle Andy married a lady, and I call her aunt, you know, mm-hmm. so and so, and I'm I'm not using names for privacy purposes, everybody. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, like the idea of like like he's got a brother-in-law, and, and like now as an adult, I'm like, well, did Zarek marry his sister brother, <laughs> or did he marry Zarek's sister brother? What's the relationship tree on this one? But right, and when where's <laughs> their wives, whoever the wife is married to, because or, or, we or don't partner, meet yeah. any of them. <laughs> That's right. Where are the Nebulan partners? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, that that also makes the show feel of its time. But again, it's like it's like what a strange thing to introduce on here. But at the same time, it's kind of fun to think about, like you know. Like it's like maybe they're gonna add a whole new element to the show, kind of like Dallas, <laughs> <laughs> where there was like you know Joan Collins and other people. Was she Dynasty? I forget, but like you know, a different kind of relationship infighting amongst the Hive. <laughs> Just feels like it was a Tech Specs writer like injecting a little fun, a little mm-hmm. entertainment for himself. Yeah, maybe even writing some of his own family drama into the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> writers do that (laughs) so well moving on to the next target master we have misfire with his nebulon partner aimless can't you hit anything aimless what'd you expect i knew it (laughs) now i definitely did not have misfire okay that is a certainty i would remember having a dark pink transformer decepticon but i did not Mm -hmm. He really stands out, and one wild idea that crossed my mind, which I don't think happened, but seemed unusual enough to be a possibility, I was like, why is he pink? And then I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, his name is Misfire. Was it going to be Miss Fire? And they were going to introduce a Decepticon girl? Probably not. But it's just one of those things that just popped up in my brain one day, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Back then, they totally would have really done it. He's really pretty yeah. pink. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is it pink? Is it fuchsia? It's yeah. It's it's like it's it's not it's not like your traditional like sports team red. Right. It's something that's a little bit. It skews more towards like the violet or the pinkish spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like a very light My Little Pony style pink. It, it is dark, but it's still. Clearly pink and not red. Mm-hmm. So it just makes yeah. you kind of think. 
I mean, bright colors were the order of the day for sure. And we're going to sure. get some more of that pink on Skull Cruncher when we talk about him. But <laughs> Misfire is like almost all pink. He has a little bit of white and a little bit of black, but mostly pink. Hmm. Hmm. I could totally see them doing something like that, calling it like, but also I have to say Misfire totally sounds like a GoBot name. <laughs> yes, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> But it w- how fun would it have been all the way back in 1987 to get a girl Decepticon? We had to wait, and I don't know how long, well, until Black Arachnia, really, mm-hmm. which is a drag. So it would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, and GoBots had, of course, already beaten them to the punch because they had Crasher from day one. Yeah, that's right. And Pathfinder and Smallfoot and, yeah, just the bevy of, of like, Females with agency in their cartoon universe, you know? So, and let's talk about the design of the plane. Cause like this of the three, this I would say is probably the most intriguing to me. It's like the most, like I, if I were to pick the one to buy out of the three, this would have been the mm-hmm. one I bought just on, on design alone. Do you want to try to take a swing at describing it? Well, it's more so than trigger happy and slug slinger. It's more halfway between a car and a plane to me. Mm-hmm. It looks like it could be a flying car or something like that. Whereas Trigger Happy definitely evokes more of a plane feel. Right. So it's just another one of those nebulous future vehicles. It's like in the future, there will be no difference between cars and planes. You know, it's it's like That's that right. sort of thought <laughs> behind it. Yeah. And I mean, the wings got like kind of like this swooping down, almost like it's like mi- wings mid flap, mm-hmm. like the out the the extensions at the end bend downwards just a little bit, and the front doesn't end in nose cone; it ends in sort of like a fork, like two flat yeah. nose cones coming off the side. And you're right, the cockpit does look a little bit more similar to like hot rods. It's mm-hmm. more of like a flat canopy rather than the rounded kind of plain canopy. I'm looking at like later redesigns of the character from like some recent re-releases and they did make it more like a plane cockpit in later iterations. And I like it a little less, actually. Mm. I kind of I like the whole like 97 flying future car look of Misfire. It doesn't look like Misfire would be very speedy, but I wonder if so like, you know, my, my wife drives a, a, a Mini Cooper. And let me tell you about being in a Mini Cooper is it's like it's like being in the little go-kart. The turning mm-hmm. radius on that thing is so tight. It's like I love <laughs> riding in the car because then when she takes a tight turn, I'm like, whoa, whoa, that felt like fun. If I was driving my car, I'd worry about flipping over. You know, and I feel like Misfire looks like a Decepticon jet who would corner really well, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. versus versus the other two. So it's like, okay, maybe it's not the speediest, but man, oh, man, is it maneuverable, right? <laughs> so, but... I, it also, I love the idea of a Decepticon who is their even their name and their partner is all about like doesn't shoot very good. I'm a target master, but I'm the worst target right. master. Yeah. <laughs> it says on a text spec: When Misfire shoots, his fellow Decepticons run for cover. Has terrible aim, but says he's improving. No one else shares his confidence. <laughs> so. I'm reminded of that, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I remember hearing Jerry Jewell, the head writer of The Muppet Show, describe the chemistry of the show as all the characters desperately want to be something they can never be, mm. but they love doing it regardless. Like, Fozzie Bear is not funny, but he loves being a comedian, right? Mm. Kermit wants to be the leader of the show. Nobody <laughs> listens to him. He's always at his wits end, that kind of thing. 
And so I, I think there's something really charming about one of the target masters being like super not right for the job, right. <laughs> but they just love being a Decepticon seeker slash target master and even aimless, you know, in the line of the show, aimless says something effective. What it's like, I've never missed a shot in my life. Well, you never take it a shot in your life. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that just like combines to make me feel like, there's something really charming in this idea. And I, I, I can only imagine that Misfire was probably used quite a bit in the comics, but who knows? I, I stopped reading them after the American Generation 2 run. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely did not have this toy, though. I mean, I would definitely Me remember that. But as, as a trinity, I sort of think these guys are kind of interesting. I mean, there seems to be like less... <laughs> We don't know anything about Misfire other than he's not good at shooting. <laughs> what is he good at? Oh, I don't know. You know what he's not good well, at. But it's, it's, he says he's improving. That's the part I love about it. It's like like it's almost like like Teddy from Bob's Burgers. Like, oh, I'm mm. doing my best. I'm yeah. trying. <laughs> I could totally see that. He just comes up to Trigger Happy one day. He's like, you know, I actually made some shots today. <laughs> well, I, I did really good in the practice. Uh, what you call that? Target practice yesterday, but you just weren't there. And you didn't see it. Like, too bad because it was. I was really good. <laughs> but yeah, so 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 far we have two characters who are like wildly ill-equipped to be <laughs> the elite seeker brigade, right? <laughs> <laughs> they make even Duratram Jet and Thrust look really good at their jobs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and see, this is the funny thing is Thrust, Urge, and Ramjet, according to their tech specs, weren't that incompetent. It was just the show wrote them as that incompetent. <laughs> now comes these guys where it's like the tech specs just leading you right in. Like, look at how bad these guys are at their job. <laughs> I wonder if any of that could be traced back to the three stooges like well we have these three decepticon jets and yeah a rider yep. sees three guys standing together and his brain just automatically goes to the three stooges yeah i can see that well and that would have been really popular in the time when these writers were growing up too mm-hmm. right i mean three i remember seeing three stooges on tv like on uhf like yep. when i was a kid so yeah they were pretty prevalent i mean they had a cartoon series for crying out loud <laughs> so yeah, I can see that. Well, rounding out the trio, we have Slug Slinger with his Nebulan partner, Caliburst. Your history now, Autobosos! Slug Slinger's here! And this one is, I would say, probably the most interesting to me. <laughs> his tech spec says, A brawling, swaggering braggart claims he'll challenge anyone to a duel, but prefers sneaking up and shooting enemies in the back. When his ammunition runs out, so does his courage. But the great thing about him is he's voiced by Peter Cullen. Mm-hmm. And he's voiced by Peter Cullen doing a real, like, aristocratic accent. Yeah. Like he's upper crust, like a rich Decepticon somehow, who's like right. lowering right. himself to come work with the blue collar Decepticons. Right. What does that right. mean? I mean, that just brings to mind lots of questions and just makes my mind go, hmm, let's think yeah. about that. Oh, yeah, you could Im- immediately imagine a story where he comes from some aristocratic family on Cybertron. He gets gets it in his head that it'd be good to be some kind of important Decepticon general, 
But then they like his family talks to Galvatron. He's like, no, this guy's never fought before. Like, he, he could be a seeker. We'll see what he could do, right? Or they wouldn't even talk to Galvatron. It would be like, go through Cyclonus or Scourge or somebody like that, right? It'd be like some intermediary who decides like, okay, well, you want to be recruited? Well, you know, they, they gave us this much energon. I guess we can make you a seeker, right? <laughs> but like in his head, he's like, I'm the best. I'm right. so good. Because he's just been one of those like, Gosh, it feels like this has kind of been in the air lately, talking about in insanely wealthy people who get like weird ideas about who they are. Mm. <laughs> and so it's like it doesn't take much to like apply that onto this guy because you get it right in the description. He's a swaggering braggart, claims to ch challenge anyone to a duel, not a fight, a duel. It's a different thing, right? Mm -hmm. You have to think this is what triggered them into saying, okay, he's going to talk like, you know, like an old wealthy snob. <laughs> but, but then also, but prefers sneaking up and shooting enemies in the back. So now I'm getting totally like a Prince Humperdinck vibe from the Princess Bride, mm. right? A conniving, sneaky coward, but acts like, oh, but I'm like the most handsome, most dashing, most skilled, you know? Yeah, he puts um, on the airs of an upper-class yes. person yeah. with, with very high morals, but then he's just going to shoot you in the back. Right, right. And as soon as his gun runs out of bullets, like, bye, and he jumps <laughs> over the wall, you know. So, yeah, all of that is great. And then being paired with these two dummies, you know, it's like mm -hmm. with, with Misfires, you've got Teddy from Bob's Burgers, and then you've got, you know, <laughs> Randy from Pee Wee's Playhouse as your, as, as your partners. <laughs> oh, that's a good <laughs> summation right there. So, yeah, so then, yeah, you take Blaine from Pretty in Pink mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as the, the, the third member of the team. That's a pretty interesting, you got a lot of fuel for great stories there, right? <laughs> now, I want, like, a, a season 2.5 kind of, you know, 36 episodes where we could have dumb stories like Hoist Goes Hollywood with these three <laughs> characters being involved, you know? Yeah. I want that bad. <laughs> Can we talk about his vehicle mode a little bit? Yeah, it's very strange because it's very jet-like. And again, he has the the front-facing wings because that's how all jets will be in the future. But he has two cockpits, like two separate uh -huh. cockpits. How does this yeah. help anyone? <laughs> Why can't you just have like two people seated front to back in one cockpit? Now, the first thing I thought of as a kid is like, oh, this is the cloud car from Cloud City, right? mm. the twin, the qu twin pod cloud car, whatever it was, which makes zero sense until you go on a long road trip. And I tell you what, I would love it if auto manufacturers would make like a retractable steering wheel on the other side so that when I'm like getting mm. tired, like, hey, you know, tell my, my wife I'm getting sleepy and all of a sudden woot, woot, wheel comes up. She takes the wheel. Right. <laughs> I mean, yes, I understand everybody. I could just pull over at a rest stop. We could switch seats. But I want the futurism of the dashboard transforming in front of me. And I won't be I won't be satisfied until I get it. <laughs> So like when I look at this jet, I'm like, oh, okay. One pilot gets sleepy, <laughs> the other one takes over. <laughs> it's still not like terribly practical, but yeah, I, I don't know where that idea comes from. That's the only use case I can think of for having two nose cones. But And it's especially weird because, I mean, he has one target master partner who could mm -hmm. fly in one of the seats. Right. But it's it's not like this was introduced in the G.I. Joe line where you could just put two dudes in there. This is in a toy line where the characters themselves are doing the flying and they don't need anyone <laughs> in the cockpits. 
That's right. That's right. And and traditionally, when they transform to vehicle mode, their partner turns into a gun and just rides on them. Yeah. So, so a little strange. But color-wise, he's interesting because the toy is kind of a, I would say, a lightish blue. He's definitely not the, the dark royal blue of Trigger Happy. He's kind of almost a teal, but just a shade darker than that. Yeah. With a lot of gray as well. But for some reason in the episodes, he's like black and gray. And I don't mm. know how that came about. So I don't know if it was just like, <laughs> we need to, we need to fax Sunbow <laughs> over a picture of, of Slug Slinger. And they just get this horrible, terrible 1980s level quality <laughs> fax. And they're like, oh, I guess he's black. I don't know. Because apparently that happened with like some of the Constructicons and stuff, and they couldn't make out the details of their faces, so they just kind of made it up. Oh my god! Because they were dealing with 1980s fax technology. Wow. I mean, so, like, would would it kill you to mail it to them? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so maybe that's why it happened, but it's kind of a shame because now we don't have like a a animation accurate slug slinger toy. They're all different colors, so. Yeah, I just did an image search on him. It looks like he's been remade a couple times, and yeah, the, his his color scheme is all over the place. You know, <laughs> like a royal blue, the, the the teal, and I'm looking at one that's like green and purple and black. I'm like, is that Slug Slinger? Oh, I guess it's it Transformers Energon Slug Slinger. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. They they brought that concept back out during Energon. <laughs> Because I guess, you know, it's like, hey, I'm over here, the guy who's been arguing for whimsy on the show whenever I could. So, sure, why not? <laughs> Two cockpit plane, you know, what what harm can it do? Is there anything to say about his, I, I, I like what his tech spec says about his Nebulan partner, too. Yeah, it seems like they, they whoever's writing these, they always put in like a little joke or something humorous about the Nebulans. They said the Caliburst is a one-time Nebulan leading actor who only does this for the money. Yeah. So apparently Zarek is just paying him to be in the hive. <laughs> maybe because he's a popular person and maybe this will right. get the hive over. With. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's oh. got that winning. He's got that winning George Clooney smile. <laughs> all the nebulans just go like, "Oh, look, we gotta say, we gotta follow Zarek. Yeah, he's a monster, but gosh, <laughs> he's got Caliburst with him." So, but I mean, also, I just like the idea of like, like that that one sentence. This is like the efficiency of comic writing that I love so much. That one sentence implies phoniness. Mm-hmm. Um, it implies like a, a lack of authenticity and purpose and substance, yeah. right? Which paired with a character who also is a brawling, swaggering braggart, it works really well. It also points to potential sparks that could come up, right? Because then you get into, the, once again, that, that phrase we use so often on this podcast, the narcissism of minor differences, <laughs> which is such a great tool for generating conflict between characters, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that, that's something that... You don't until you think about it a little bit. Like I, I've run into this so many times in my life, where somebody assumes that I'm automatically going to like this person because we have so many shared interests, and then I meet them, and I'm just repulsed by them. I have like <laughs> a, like almost a physical revulsion about them, and like, what's wrong? You should be best friends. I'm like, yeah, but they 
you know, they eat with their left hand or something like something mm-hmm. tiny like that. Right. It's like, it's, it's the dumbest little thing. Like, Oh, his beard's just a little too long and I can't, <laughs> I can't abide it, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Right. It's like, by all accounts, we should be like twin brothers, but there's something that just sets me off. And, and like, and I, I'm aware of that about myself and I try to like catch myself and be like, Oh, come on. That's silly. You know, that's you being prideful, but do it in a story and it's magic. So yeah, I could automatically imagine a lot of fun conflict between slug slinger and caliburst. Like, also caliburst was in like a lot of musicals, right? So it's like, <laughs> Oh, he sings and slug slinger is like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we know your voice is melodious. Stop it. <laughs> and also it's getting in the way of my, you know, presence in the room, <laughs> which daddy bought for me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, there's a zillion ways you can go with it, right? And then you have to cut to Thundercracker and Skywarp looking at these guys going, like, these are the new Seekers. (laughs) (laughs) Or even Dirge and Ramjet. Like, oh, my gosh. Can you believe these guys? (laughs) I've heard stories about them. Stories that make me think they're pretty dumb. Oh man, yeah. See, it just writes itself. Even <laughs> rumbles like, man, when you know, when dirge is you know, lo-fi burning you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, kind of sadly, they're kind of like the best of the bunch, except for one one other guy. So this yeah. is going to be a very top-heavy episode. Mm. So now we move on to the headmasters, and there's three animal beast whatever you want to call them headmasters let's start with skull cruncher with his nebulan partner grax who was played by chris lada (laughs) supposedly but all the dialogue was cut so we don't even get to hear him talk three whole episodes and we don't get a line out of skull cruncher there's there's one word for that it's called theft they (laughs) stole from us by doing that don't don't cut a Chris Lotta character line. Come on. <laughs> no, he's this yeah. sort of greenish. Well, he's like a kind of like a dark teal green, and that pink comes again. That same yeah. pink as Misfire has, and white. Yeah. But he's like an alligator or a crocodile or something. One and of the two. I would say, yeah, he, he feels more alligator to me, but. Well, in 1987, Hasbro was like in love with doing beast modes for all these guys. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like Beast Wars where they looked like real beasts. It was like they looked like robotic beasts. Right. And they apparently designed the Predacons and just fell in love. And they were like, let's do more of that. Because yeah. these guys come out, these three headmasters are all beasts. Obviously, mm-hmm. I can't say anything about the character. Well, he didn't have a word. Let me make an argument in their favor on this, because one of the critiques we had last episode was the Headmaster Autobots really felt like they were aiming toward future vehicle, but there was something that felt, generally speaking, and I don't think we used this word last week, but as I'm recounting what we explored, there was something that felt kind of uninspired about all of their designs. Like when you look at Chrome Dome, you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, he's like a brown and red and gray car, but we've had lots of cars. And in the past, the cars looked more like cars we could recognize, and there was something fresh about Blur, Cup, and Hot Rod. But even so, you pointed out that you always thought the Cup's vehicle mode was dumb. Yeah. You know? 
So I feel like going towards animals, like should point me at a kid who doesn't like animals, right? Almost all children like animals. So I feel like that's like a very safe bet. And also there's something about them being animals that points towards personality in a way that the vehicle modes of the Autobot headmasters doesn't. Mm -hmm. Like I, when I look at Brainstorm in vehicle mode, I really don't know what to guess about him. Okay, yeah. he's future plane, right? Same with Hardhead, right? So, but with Skull Cruncher, I can at least start to make some assumptions, right? And now I'm going to tell a story about the time I met Peter Cullen because this is bragging rights, right? But <laughs> but also I think it ties into this. It's like there was a moment in at BotCon 1997, he's sitting up in this panel and one of the people in the audience asked him, how did he feel about playing an alligator on the Transformers? And it was just a fan trying to be cute about doing like a deep cut in City of Steel. And I, as they asked it, I'm like, there's no way Peter Cullen remembers that specific episode. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like maybe now he would because he's been in enough panels. But this was this was like in 97 where he really didn't do a lot of conventions. And this he even expressed in that moment how fresh it felt and like how he never knew that like his character was that that beloved that people would come, you know, upwards of 10 years later to come meet him anyway. He responded by making up a character on the spot, and it was really cool to see. He started just talking through how he would develop a voice for a character who was an alligator. He's like, well, an alligator is going to live in the bayou, so maybe I'll do something with like a little bit of a Cajun accent. And he switched his voice into a Cajun accent. He's like, and maybe he's a little bit of an older alligator. Maybe some of his teeth are missing, so I'm going to whistle a little bit when I talk. <laughs> so it's like you could start to imagine, you could do the same thing with these characters. You could look at this alligator and be like, okay, well, what assumptions do I make about alligators? right alligators are patient they sit in the water with their, their eyes out of the water and then they jump out really fast they grab you kind of thing and then they roll around really violently so there's something that's really like quiet and patient and something really violent and active right okay cool you can start to make up something about this guy whereas again with chrome dome you kind of can't right it's at least it's harder to do so there's something about him being an animal that gives the anthropomorphism a, a place to go mm. if that makes sense yeah. so yeah, we we're not reading his tech spec or anything like that, but like, there's at least there's the interesting color scheme, the 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 unexpected combination of the almost I would say it's almost a forest green or an army green with like a fuchsia. Mm -hmm. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't pick those two colors to put together, so that feels like a little bit daring. But yeah, other than that, he doesn't he doesn't grab me the way hunger grabbed me when I was you know a teenager. Mm -hmm. Can we also talk about the fact he's got a cockpit on his head? <laughs> Which is kind of weird. I guess the headmaster have to, has to have somewhere to sit. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it's kind of weird that like you sit between the, the alligator's eyes. But yeah, so there's something vaguely dino-body about that. Because didn't all the dinobots have like a little spot for a mm -hmm. little man to sit? So Yeah, those were like pre-made molds. So yeah. that, that wasn't a design choice, so to speak. But... I guess, I mean, I'm not a big fan of, like, pre-Beast Wars beasts. Yeah. But, I mean, we've seen, like, robot fish on Quintessa mm. or wherever. Right. So, I guess robot animals exist. So, these guys are basically just pretending to be regular robot animals, but they're Transformers, just in the same way that Prowl pretends to be a sports car, police car, but he's a robot. Well. So... Yeah, but another another theme we've been sort of digging around is that like after the movie, mm -hmm. it's no longer robots in disguise. It's like robots with an alt mode to give them some extra capability, which is neat, but not nearly as intriguing right. as also being in disguise. Yeah. Yeah, it 
if it wasn't like a real mode, I wasn't that yep. interested. Yep. Yeah, something becomes more abstract about it when it's no longer something that you can recognize in the world. So mm. th there's a trade-off there. It's like on the one hand, like again, when I saw Blur for the first time, I'm like, that's what cars are going to look like when I'm a grown-up. Oh, I'm so excited. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, but now I, there's no chance of me seeing Blur on the street until 2006. <laughs> you know? And then and 2006 happened. Of course, happened. in 2006, you saw him all the time. <laughs> and then, then the Price is Right failure music played. And when I hit 2006 <laughs> and looked around and all cars looked like a... A, you know, a dollop of batter on wheels. <laughs> no angles. So, all right. Well, so yeah, I, I think I think he looks interesting, but yeah, he, he there wasn't anything about him that made. Again, I think as a thirteen-year-old, I was getting into that headspace of. I'm too quote unquote sophisticated to like animals as much as I used to. I went through mm -hmm. when I was when I was yeah. 11. Every comic I I made had talking animal characters in it. And you know you, you can go you can go to my blog for proof of that. I've I've posted my old my very first <laughs> comic Silver in the Periodic Forces on my blog. But 13, you know now I'm writing grown up stories right. and there's yeah. yeah so it's it's all people because that's what real that's what real <laughs> stories are and then like I, I grew up and i was like no no animals actually always were the best but so like i think there's like <laughs> child me doesn't care about these characters adult me is leaning in and is like slightly intrigued by these characters <laughs> so you want to talk about weird wolf yeah he's the next one weird wolf with his nebulan partner monzo mm. now weird wolf is mostly yellow he has like some grayish I don't know if that's gray blue or just sort of plain gray. Yeah, he's he's actually kind of the color scheme of um Transmetal Cheetor when I'm looking at the original. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he's got like the yellow and it's like a grayish teal and then like a, a sort of a warm gray for like his face and part of his backside. So, mm -hmm. and some white mixed in there. Yeah. But he's I guess he's just a wolf. Mhm. Mm and again, his line was done away with, so we don't get to hear him talk. <laughs> oh, man. And again... Oh, he's a robot wolf. Well, it, yeah, and you get, like, the Decepticon headmasters are all playing sort of predatory animals, right? Mm -hmm. They're predators. Wolves hunt things, so you can imagine some cool things to do with that. Wolves are, compared to an alligator, considered to be a noble creature, Again, comparatively speaking, although they often get represented as villainous characters or even monstrous characters in mythology, like werewolves, like there's, you know, in certain stories, Dracula can turn into a wolf, that kind of thing. So, and, but the fact that he's bright yellow, I could see some people being turned off by it, but I really dig it. I like the idea of yellow actually getting used on a villain. We don't have mm -hmm. many yellow Decepticons, at least none. True. I can't think of any offhand. So, there's something that feels like fresh and inventive about that. But, yeah. but also there's another wolf in this lineup, actually, as we go down the line, somebody who turns into a wolf amongst many other things. So it's like, okay, <laughs> now, now you just feel like a little less than somebody else. In this yeah. new line. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's anything else to say about him. I, I like the, I like his name. It's weird wolf instead of werewolf. Okay, well, weird wolf that that suggests something else. Like, is he gonna be sort of like, I don't know, kind of like an obsessive weirdo who is not like the maniac, like trigger happy, but more like there's something even darker about him, like something like tarantulas, right? Oh, mm -hmm. that could be cool, but yeah, we we, we could have been cool, but 
Yep. Sorry, David Wise didn't find any room for him to talk. <laughs> and again, I don't think it was David Wise's fault. <laughs> right. I think he did what he could. So, but yeah, I, I didn't have him and I didn't have any interest in having him. So, but, but now I look at him like, eh, yeah, there's, there's something there. <laughs> so moving on to the last of the plain old beast headmasters and we have Mindwipe and his Nebulan partner Vorath. The powers of darkness are a more powerful weapon than all the toys your science can muster. Now... Unite with me. Oh, yes, master. Yeah. Now here is someone we can talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you you heard me like sort of like meet cute with him in a couple episodes yeah. ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, just everything about this concept is appealing to me. One, introducing a mystic Decepticon. That's brilliant. It's it's an area that we haven't really gotten with them, right? Like you think about the Autobots, they have the Matrix, they have Vector Sigma, they have later on the AllSpark and et cetera. And the Decepticons really don't have any kind of mystical lore around them. Like there's no Alpha Trion of the Decepticons. There's just Megatron, who is this tyrannical despot who like sort of came out of nowhere in, in G1 at least, right? We never right. We never really get like a full Megatron origin story. And actually, I kind of like that we don't. Because, I mean, I, I feel like yeah. now that's like the first place everybody goes. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I got it. You know, it's like he also could have just been a dick, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, bringing in, okay, what does a Decepticon mystic look like? Oh, gosh, it looks like, you know, Bela Lugosi. Oh, oh, now I'm interested in, in partnered with a little scientist, right? So now they have something to bicker about. And and this isn't narcissism or minor differences. This is major differences. You know, <laughs> one is communicating with the dead and the other one is, you know, well, he never really says what it is about science that he likes. Like, well, he had some good equipment, right? Like, that's all we know. <laughs> so he likes calculators. Okay. <laughs> but... Yeah, the first line of Mindwipe's text spec is, a mystic spends more of his time trying to contact the electromagnetic essences of long-dead Decepticons than talking to live ones. <laughs> so this is not a guy with a lot of friends. Right, right. Yeah, he's got no time for you living people. He wants to talk to dead people. Oh, that's, that's so good. So already, yeah, he's got... And again, this is... I'm assuming Bob Budiansky wrote this, but this is the thing that like anybody who's interested in making comics pay attention to this kind of stuff when you see it, when you've got that kind of like pithiness, when it's that succinct, but it, it's like so mm -hmm. laden with meaning, that's something comic book writers do. Yeah. So we, we can automatically picture this guy alone in a cave, you know, mm -hmm. maybe weird wolf is like, well, you seem like weird, like me, maybe we could be friends. No, we could not be friends. You know, <laughs> bah, <go away>. <laughs> <laughs> I have no time for you. <laughs> <laughs> but now you know it's like he he's binary bonded he doesn't have a choice he's stuck with this guy who's like a scientist guy so like already it's like now there's an arc here of these two finally like learning to respect one another the trapped in the cave story i mean that's the interesting thing with all of the nebulan transformers characters is that there's you have an automatic trapped in a cave and it's really cool that mm -hmm. budiansky wrote that into the tech spec right yeah so you've got you know, Lovecraftian bat 
looking to communicate with the old ones and then you've got love well actually you know i think another reason i get excited about this is my favorite horror movie of all time is john carpenter's the prince of darkness which for those who haven't seen it because i know it, it, it bombed in the box office it's become kind of a cult thing later but it's about a priest who discovers in this church is this bottle of liquid that is the prebiotic fluid of the son of the anti-god right so it's sort of satan but it's not really satan in the christian mythology it's more like they, they bring in this whole other thing and he's like the only way i can make the world realize that this thing is coming to life and is bringing about the apocalypse is i have to prove it scientifically so he partners with this physicist so you have this old priest and this old physicist who are working together to try, try to like tell the story of this thing meanwhile everything comes crashing down around them as like zombies and you know possession and demons and things all start taking over the church and it ends very badly or does sure. it it's a carpenter movie but anyway what i love about this is like pr proposing or at least like uh, suggesting that that's a possibility of now you have like this you know sort of necronomicon mystic type of character partnered with a brilliant scientist and them finding that common ground not in friendship, but to solve or execute some kind of like master stroke against the Autobots kind of thing, right? <laughs> and because he's so misanthropic to begin with, it's like, would he do it with Galvatron's sort of authorization or would he do his own thing, right? Would, would he try to find the old ones of Lovecraftian lore on his own and Galvatron be like, oh crap, <laughs> Optimus, <laughs> I, I, got, I, got, I need your help to put down this guy in my organization who's doing like this rogue thing. <laughs> you know so yeah just the nature of that type of character just invites so many story ideas like i can already like fully flesh out like a bridge between season three to season four and i, I talked about it a little bit in the rebirth episodes but just like i like the idea of mind wipe like getting these visions of the plasma energy chamber mm -hmm. and like these decepticons are like all on some other planet like full of robot beasts and everything and that's why they all have beast modes and so they're just like their own little decepticon society like elsewhere in the solar system but like mind wipe gets this feeling this sort of like trance where he knows he has to reunite with galvatron mm. and bring these decepticon sort of sub armies together Mm -hmm. and it, it's like preordained it's something that has to happen and you know mindwipe tries to explain it to everybody else and they're just like oh, what yeah you know they just don't have anything better to do so they go with him and then the rebirth happens so mm. just in more so than any of these guys it invites like a lot of things you could do in a story yeah yeah and i mean yeah the voice acting it's just, it was just doing him as Bela Lugosi was such a brilliant stroke. I, I, I really feel like, mm -hmm. and I mean, granted, I've already talked about this. I, I love the Universal Monsters and I love all those old movies. I love the original 1939, was it Dracula? So and I, I just love Bela Lugosi's presence as, as, a, as a, a character actor. So hitting that feels like maybe it was obvious to some people he's a, he's a bat vampire Dracula and whatever, but like you could have gone a lot of ways with it. And I, the idea of him having this like sort of Carpathian accent, if we can have British ish transformers, if we can have Southern transformers, we can have a Carpathian transformer. Why not? 
and <laughs> I, I am super here for that. I, I mean, also, I should disclose, I'm, I'm ex- exceedingly Polish. This is how my grandparents talked. <laughs> he sounds like my grandpa a little bit. So I, I love that too. And you're like, oh, that sounds like Jaji, big evil. <laughs> so. Well, I can definitely tell you that ever since covering the rebirth, me using the phrase give it to me yep. has gone up about 5000%. Yep. Yep. And yeah, and I I've, I've told you uh, in chat is like I I have a, a little kitten named Baba Yaga who is a little black cat and that's the voice I do whenever I feed her is like she'll, she'll start meowing at me when I'm getting the tuna ready. I I talk back to her give it to me. <laughs> give me the tuna papa. <laughs> <laughs> My poor Long-suffering wife has endured that so much. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this is, he has ascended to like, like top 20 Decepticons for me, maybe even top 10. Wow. Just from those two appearances. And, and yeah. just from us covering it, because you didn't care for him like back when you watched nope. the rebirth, like in the eighties and nineties, did you? I wasn't paying that close attention because I was just so turned off by everything that was happening. So right. <laughs> it, it, it looked so bad and it felt so rushed and crammed. I felt like I was just getting assaulted with this World War <laughs> Z kind of pile of Transformers rolling at me. So it's just like I, it all became a blur. And I certainly remembered like the line, like, give it to me. But I, I didn't mm-hmm. it didn't connect it with the character in because I wasn't paying such a close attention to that brilliant moment where he's first partnered with Vorath and then. He hypnotizes Vorath. And, and, <laughs> and that was the moment, like, when I watched it, like, carefully, I was like, oh, my God, you've got, he's Van Helsing and he's Renfield all at the same time. And, and <laughs> I don't know if David Wise meant to do it, but I'm giving him full credit for it because I think that is <laughs> just genius. And, again, I like the idea of, like, like, yeah, like, what if you had the Van Helsing and the vampire collaborating? Oh, my God. Now, or even, mm-hmm. now you could not even say Van Helsing, you could say, like, take, like, Dr. Petrovius from The Bride of Frankenstein. Maybe that'd be more of an accurate thing, because, like, he's, like, a, a villainous scientist. So, yeah, it, it's just, like, once I saw that moment, that was the moment where I was like, I love this guy. I love this guy. I love everything about <laughs> this, this scenario. And I want... Again, like a season 2.5 kind of like follow up to this miniseries where we can have like three stories about Mindwipe doing something with Borath. Yeah. So. Well, that's great because, I mean, that's sort of what I hoped would happen with us recovering the series because we felt pretty familiar Mm -hmm. with the whole series. Mm hmm. We, you know, watched them on videotape. We got like a whole videotape set before they existed to buy on DVD. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, we were pretty thorough fans. Yeah. But not the thoroughest. No. No, I would never put myself as... in that bucket. But, but yes. Right, right. But we, yes, I feel like my affection for the show has become a little bit more intimate and complete in a way that it wasn't before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the fact that you can rewatch this series and get something new out of it yeah. is fantastic, especially getting a new favorite character out of it who basically went from, I don't know, like number 100 on your list up into the top 10. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it just, it flips all my switches. Everything about this concept is just beautiful. 
and and and, <laughs> and the fact that we got like a couple lines from him just feels like a gift compared to what we got for Skull Cruncher and Weird Wolf. <sighs> yeah. Well, moving on, we're still going to be in the territory of headmasters, but these are the headmaster horror con triple changers. <laughs> so these guys turned from a future jet thing to a beast to a robot. So the beasts are still there, even though they turn into jets. Yeah. So let's start with Ape Face with his neighborhood partner, Spasma. Yuck, no more Autobots make me want to puke. Yeah. Well, you pretty much walked the entire circle around this guy with that one line. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I believe it's Ape Face who says, oh, noble Autobots make me want to (laughs) puke. Or was it Snapdragon? No, that was Ape Face. Ape Face is, I I, I don't know if Snapdragon actually says anything (laughs) in the show. (laughs) Ape Face has at least like three or four lines. Right, because like there's that scene where we meet Spasma and Crunk for the first time, and I think Spasma spits on the floor and it makes acid, yeah. and then Ape Face like, oh, we'll see who's boss. But <laughs> I, what little we got of Ape Face, I like the idea of a Decepticon heavy who feels like he came out of some kind of you know low rent district of Cybertron. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, like, like, like a big tough who's maybe like, he's, he's the opposite of Slug Slinger. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Slug Slinger comes from like this place of great privilege and he's a big phony. And there's something about like this big heavy who doesn't mince words. He's direct. Right. There's, there's no pretense about him. Like that's all the suggestion I get from him. But interesting that he would turn to a jet, right? That's a, that's not an alt mode you would normally think of for a big heavy. So at least not in this series, right? Later on, I think mm-hmm. we get characters who are jets, but also big tough guys. But you know, this one that's unusual. So yeah, his color scheme is just sort of grays with maybe a little bit of light gray and dark gray, but sort of red highlights as well. And red is not a color commonly used on Decepticons. No, not many. Just for some reason, someone got the idea, well, let's make more triple changers, but there'll be beasts and then a jet and then a robot. It's like, okay, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Well, again, it's like, there's like, I'll stand by my hypothesis that there's something that allows anthropomorphism to kick in when you see an animal, right? When you see an ape, you have certain assumptions about what it's going to act like just as I think whoever did, you know, the choosing of what this character's voice performance was going to be, you know? Yeah. I, this is another one where I, I, I feel like the only reason I really cared about the triple changers at all as a kid, and this is, you know, me sort of interpreting my mind 40 years on, so, sure. you know, I, I could be entirely wrong about this, but I think it had more to do with the characters than it did the fact that there's like it's got three modes. I mean, that was certainly interesting, right. but it wouldn't mm-hmm. have been enough to make the sale. I wanted Blitzwing because I saw Blitzwing on the show doing stuff, you know. Right. I mean, in 1985, it was an interesting concept because we never had it before. Right. It's like, you tell me this one toy is going to be a robot, a tank, and a jet? Sure. Okay. You've intrigued me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's something kind of clever about the fact that the head has two modes, right? Or three modes. Like, it's Mm -hmm. robot, ape head, and robot head. 
Sure. Yeah. That 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 feels clever. And I, and I feel like they're yeah, they're just like filling out sort of like the the pockets they built in the 85 and 86 series, but now they have headmaster technology too. So we got mm-hmm. we got our we got our you know, our seekers, well we got to have a couple triple changers too. But yeah, so it's like a headmaster on top of a triple changer on top of a seeker. So it's like <laughs> We're just like compounding ideas at this point, right? It's like that. What was what was that Saturday Night Live skit, the Taco Town one, where they keep on? Like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not enough just to have the taco with a taco. It's got to be a taco inside of a burrito, inside of a pancake, inside of a, you know, so on. Now that's what I call a taco. Well, it's not a Taco Town taco until we roll it up in a blueberry pancake, dip it in batter, and deep fry it until it's golden brown. Then we serve it all in a commemorative tote bag filled with spicy vegetarian chili. It's 15 great tastes all rolled into one. Taco Town! The new Pizza Crepe Taco Pancake Chili Bag, only at Taco Town. Taco Town! <laughs> yes, this feels like it's a step in that direction. These are somebody's favorite characters, I'm sure. I it's just I'm just offering that th- as a kid, they, I, they didn't really offer me much to grab onto. Eight Faces mm-hmm. color scheme, I think, is great. It feels very Decepticon-y. You know, the, the purple and the red and the black and the white. <laughs> the other thing I'm thinking about is like all the truck not monkey people. It was like, well, dudes, <laughs> we had monkeys before, you know. He's an ape at least. <laughs> so why are we getting so mad about Optimus being a gorilla? But yeah, he's he's an interesting idea. I, too bad they didn't tell more stories about him. But it, he at least had like probably one of the greatest lines of season four. We can give Ape Face that. Yeah, definitely one of the most memorable. Yeah. And Snapdragon is the other horror con. He comes with his Nebulan partner, Krunk. And Snapdragon is mostly sort of purple and teal and white. Yeah. I got to say, his his headmaster double modes is probably the most interesting thing about him for me. Like the way like mm-hmm. you know, that the robot head turns into like the dragon head. That's actually kind of cool. I, I, I think I had a friend who had Snapdragon because I remember playing with this as I look at the jet mode. But the dragon mode is it's oh, Hoover, it's it's the eighty seven <laughs> era of engineering, right? The the little dragon arms look really unfortunate and <laughs> so it's like it's like okay, it's kind of a dragon, but it's it's like kind of a dragon the way some of six shots modes are kind of what they're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any any feelings about this character yeah. at all. Me either. <laughs> I mean, you, you'd think these would have been like some of the more popular toys this year because not only are they headmasters, but they're triple changers as well. Yeah. But it just seems like I, I don't know that like any kids were like excited about that. Maybe there were. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, but I was not excited. Well, this is where we can point one more time to the mailbag episode that we're going to do is like there's still a little bit of time left if you want to send an email to four million years later at gmail.com. I, my guess is is that this might have been something that to somebody who was like five years younger than me, like they would have been Mm -hmm. like seven in 1987. Yeah. You know, this might have been something that was like, whoa, wow, this rocked my world, right? But for me, Mm -hmm. again, as a 13-year-old. Yeah, especially if they were too young, like when Blitzwing and Astrotrain came out. Sure. Like if this was their first concept of a triple changer, I could totally see how this would be someone's favorite toy. Yep, totally. 
So, but we're just coming from the perspective of someone who got on board in 1984, right? And you know, by by this time, we'd seen it. You know, our, our arms were crossed at this point. <laughs> going, really? That's all you got to show me? Yeah. I like I said though, that that head design is really neat. That that was a cool little twist to how it could be the the way that the legs fold could turn into the jaws of the dragon head. Yeah, that's clever. I'll give yeah. them that. <laughs> it's just that the engineering also wasn't there to do like really aesthetically pleasing modes for all three. Right. Right. Yeah. I would even argue even Blitzwing, like his robot mode is really weak compared to what we got later. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So these Horicons, I did not have either of them. Same. I did not have any of the three Headmaster Beasts. But now we get to another little <laughs> play pattern that they came up with. That we talked about on the Autobot episode. Yeah. And we talk about the Decepticon clones. These are two, quote-unquote, identical robots that each turn into a different beast. Right. So it's basically like a triple-changer idea, but in two different bodies. Mm. Which almost seems like a step back. Mm. And maybe if they'd gotten to use these guys more often... Maybe they would be memorable. As you said last time on the Autobot show, it's kind of like Transformers for Twins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a neat idea, but I mean, I I, I didn't care. (laughs) Of course, I'm an only child. Right. You had many siblings, so this was more interesting to you than it was me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this is, this is a toy for siblings for sure. Yeah, they're they're in like the first five minutes of the first episode of Rebirth, and yeah. then we don't see them again. And all we know is like they they stole the plasma energy chamber key, and they just say, mm-hmm. "Beat it, punch! We don't want to talk to you." In there, beat it, kind of punch! We don't need your help. It's all we yeah. get out of these guys. So, it, it's the same thing as Fastlane and Cloudraker, Roger Dodger. There's just nothing on offer with their personalities in, in the mm-hmm. show. So, which was the primary way I was introduced to what toys I wanted, because unlike you, I didn't have access to stores like Toys R Us, Meyer, Walmart. I was out in the middle of nowhere. So there was, and of course, there was the commercials which showed the playability features. Like they look the same in robot mode, and they got different symbols, mm-hmm. and they're just it's like, okay, that's that's not nothing. But it always was for me. It had to be, and I think it was for most of us who love this cartoon series and this toy line. There had to be something about the character for me to hook into. Yeah. So is that like here a place that my brain goes to automatically is like, okay, with Fastlane and Cloudraker, they're collaborative. With Pounce and Wingspan, they're adversarial because they're the villains. They're mm-hmm. the bratty kids. They're the bratty siblings who's like, oh, you got more than me. You get everything. I get nothing. Fastlane and Cloudraker are more like, you know, twins who rise each other up. Right. So, but yeah, we got nothing like that. And the beast modes again we have more beasts right yeah there's like except for the jet modes of the seekers and the horicon triple changers we really don't get many new vehicles in this line right it's mostly all animals and they're fine they don't they don't look great you know it's like it's like uh pounce is a puma and wingspan is a hawk and they're both sort of teal white and sort of a neon lavender almost yeah again we get like more like a fuchsia it's very in the same color family as like what you got on skull cruncher and on misfire 
I, I actually dig the color schemes. I love the color schemes. They look very 1987 to me. But it's like Pounce's beast mode is just like, ugh, it's, it's, come on, Hoover, look at those legs. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's okay. I see what they were trying to do there. But in, in Wingspan, looks even clumsier than like not much better than dive bomb actually i would say he doesn't look as good as dive bomb (laughs) (laughs) which the problem with these bird characters i mean they've always had this problem with bird characters is like it's really hard to make them look like a bird and like a humanoid person you know Mm -hmm. so yeah it's like there's not even anything about the design to make you go like oh cool this will be fun to play with so yeah I, i don't i don't I don't have any hostility towards them as characters. It's just like, I just feel indifferent. It's like, okay, that's neat. Who are they? (laughs) Yeah. I'm the same way. I don't have anything positive to say about them. Didn't have them. Mm. Didn't want them. Yeah. Didn't mean anything to me. (laughs) But one toy, which must've been wanted by a lot of people, even though I didn't really care, (laughs) was the six changer. You thought triple changers were big time. Well, forget about them. Here's a six changer named Six Shot. Well. Five up, five down. It's like shooting cyber ducks in a barrel. Now this guy got his own commercial to explain how intricate he was and how he had six different modes. Squadabot attack. Six Shot will stop him. Six Shot's a one robot army. He's a jet fighter. That's one. The rocket car. That's two. He's a tank. Three. The winged wolf. Four. The laser pistol. Five. There's never been a Transformer like him. I can do four. I got three. I figured out five. Six Shot, the most challenging Transformer of them all from Hasbro. I've made fun of this commercial for years. I know. Because it's just Cyclonus like counting his modes as he transforms. That's one. That's two. But Six Shot is sort of purple, white, and teal. And let me tell you, when when you transform into six different things, a couple of them are going to be fudged. (laughs) They're not going to be as intricate as the others. Right. So I just remember seeing him, and I liked big Decepticons. I was a fan of that. He's he's a big guy. Mm -hmm. But the alt modes by 1987 just weren't doing anything for me. So I just didn't really care. Yeah. No, it's like a tank, a jet, a gun, and a rocket car. Other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a car, and there's like some beast in there, isn't there? A winged wolf. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, makes Weird Wolf go like, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, thought, yeah. I thought I was the unique character. It's like, it's, it's like yeah, that, that old cliche of like two people showing up to prom in the same dress kind of thing. But. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the commercial even leaned into the puzzle factor. Like, I figured out four. Right. I figured out three, which yep. always made me feel sad. Like, for that kid's like, well, but you paid for a six changer and you only figured out three? <laughs> you're, right. you're, he comes with an instruction book. You're, you're only getting, <laughs> I can't read. <laughs> oh, God. It's getting worse. Yeah, but like, you're only getting 50% of your pleasure out of that toy. But yeah, this was one that a friend had when I was in high school, actually. That was my first encounter with Six Shot. And I got to say, the robot mode looked impressive. He looked cool as a toy. I remember trying to figure out all of his modes going like, is this it? Is this the rocket car? I think. You know, and my, my, even my friend was like, I don't know. I think so. <laughs> but... 
it, the, yeah, I certainly thought that was exciting. It felt like a very much up the ante, you know, Optimus Prime, my cars have a secret, you know, merge into Menasaur kind of thing, like where you just got to keep one-upping the next guy, like, whoa, six modes? How many modes can they possibly come up with? But mm-hmm. once again, shooting cyber ducks in a barrel is all we get with this guy. And mm-hmm. we don't... Like, when I saw him, when I saw the the toy, my first thought is, like, this is going to be the Boba Fett of the Decepticons. This mm. is going to be the Storm Shadow of the Decepticons. He's so capable. He doesn't need to hang around Decepticon headquarters. He's just off doing his own side hustle until Galvatron calls him, right? And then when Galvatron... And I think he kind of was that in the Headmaster's cartoon. I mean, spoiler alert, but I think he kills Ultra Magnus. Really? Okay. I believe so. I mean... I'm not saying that I'm making any kind of like genius leap and making that assumption about him. Like you look at him and his his design screams that, right? Mm -hmm. He has like a, an Optimus prime style covering over his mouth. And whenever robots have that, they just seem a little bit more mysterious, almost like it's a ninja mask. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yes, I, I, I absolutely was intrigued by him probably wanted the toy but the limitations of my collecting at that time would not permit it i had other fish to fry mm-hmm. in, in regards to that but it, this is another one where once again he walks onto the show and then promptly walks off and i'm like oh yeah that, you know that that's worse than boba fett <laughs> I mean, boba <laughs> fett at least had like three lines you know so and you think this guy would be such a huge part of the plot because he he basically defeats like all the aerial bots and any anyone that comes his way. Yeah. So you think he would be more of a factor, but nope. Yeah. All the Autobots are defeated on Cybertron now. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. He just comes in like a heavy and just shoots up the place and then makes a brag and then walks off. So that's a bummer. I don't think they've done a new iteration of Six Shot. I don't think they did for the Titans Return line, did they? Mm. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but it would be interesting to see if they could do him and make him look any better now that it's not 1987. You know, now that we have, now that we've seen Transformers who basically turn into two completely different things and you can almost not even tell. Like if you just saw them in a kid's toy box, you wouldn't even dream that they were a Transformer. Mm Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting to see what today's technology could do with Six Shot. I don't think they remade him. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. I'm, oh, it looks like uh, there was a reissue. Well, a reissue is one thing. Yeah. Of the original mold, that's one thing. But, like, redoing it from scratch, like they did, like all the headmasters as Titan Masters and all that. Uh, I, I think I'm finding some third-party images that look better than what we got, but still kind of yeah <laughs> the the laser pistol looks more like some kind of like gun platform i don't know but yeah it does feel like the, the where we are today with engineering on these things you could do a pretty aesthetically pleasing six shot mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. it doesn't seem impossible i mean for god's sakes like when i look at the masterpiece optimus prime that recently came out where he's basically a mechanical popple you just turn that right. turn that cab inside <laughs> out, and now you got like a cartoon accurate Optimus, and you had a cartoon accurate truck mode. I'm like my God, like, what can't we do with these toys now? It mm. literally looks like magic to my 1984 brain, you know. Right. So. Yeah, it feels like Six Shot got 
short shrift, which is hard to say. <laughs> Six shot got short shrift. Yeah, that should be one of my vocal warm-ups before we do the show. I, 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 <laughs> I'll give this to him too, is that he sort of like fills out or, or shows up in answer to my earlier complaint of like, wow, all the Decepticons we're getting are all animals except for some jets mm-hmm. like here's the six shot going like you want some cars i got some cars i got a car i got a tank <laughs> <laughs> i got i got a you know whatever the the, the gun mode so like, we get some like inanimate objects again <laughs> with yeah six shot so at least there's that and i could see how you would be a big fan of him if you watched headmasters mm-hmm. but i've just sort of like dabbled mm-hmm. in the japanese series and they just never stuck with me yeah they just seemed very very apart from what i was used to getting with the g1 cartoon mm. so so six shot sorry even though you're a decepticon i don't love you <laughs> now we move on to the head masteriest of headmasters on the decepticon side and that's the headmaster base which is scarpanock <laughs> With Lord Zarek. Ah, it is Citibanks. I have your boy and your Autobot friends. They're within my Citibanks. And when you die, they all die. Autobots, die! Yeah, now... Now, this one I had, but it was years after the fact. I got him from my friend who traded him to me. Probably about 1990-ish. So, like, three years after the fact, I had Scorponok. He was okay, but he he was just too small. I mean, I understand how they can't introduce two Fortress Maximus-sized guys in the same year. Like, Transformers was doing good, but it wasn't necessarily doing that good. So it was kind of silly to have Fortress Maximus's adversary be like half his height. So he just sort of has the Metroplex problem. Like he could have been cool, but he's kind of little. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is like a good, probably 14, 15 inches tall, maybe. I, I remember him registering as a big toy to me when I was a kid. And even as a teenager, mm-hmm. when I finally got my hands on a Scorpion, I was like, this is a big toy. Yeah, it's a big toy. It's just not as big as you'd think he would be, given what he turns into and everything. That's right. That's right. He was still like the second biggest Transformer by this point. Yeah. But you just kind of expect another Fortress Maximus and you don't get it. Mm. That's true. I mean, that is that is kind of a weird thing when you put them side by side, especially like you said. is It'd be, it'd be as if Megatron was only up to Optimus's knee, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> So and I like his color scheme. It's purple and green, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of gray and slight bit of orange. Yeah, but it just kind of looks nice. They go together well. He looks great. I, for whatever reason, I never was interested in owning the toy as a kid. And I think again, this boils down to, you know, lack of exposure to the character. He comes across as being the calm calculating kind of villain compared to Galvatron which is like that's actually a good foil for him so mm-hmm. but yeah there was something about like he turns into a giant scorpion and a city and a battle station that like I, I appreciated it but it didn't there was nothing about it that really hooked me I'll tell you what I what made me like him was the Marvel comics like when, mm-hmm. when, I, when he showed up as a sort of 
contender for the Decepticon leadership. You know, and there's that famous issue, famous issue, was well, famous to me because I remember the cover, like he's punching Shockwave in the face. And yeah. and it's like Civil War Part 3 or whatever, whatever it was. And I was like, oh, who's this guy? I didn't know Scorponok <laughs> could be that rad that he could like fight Shockwave who like almost killed Megatron in the comics. Now I'm, now I'm leaning in. Yeah, he was not portrayed as like a huge character in the comics. Mm. In the comics, he was just like Shockwave size yeah. and Megatron size. and yeah. But I had already hopped off the comics by then. I'd, I'd stuck with it through the Headmasters miniseries and maybe to like, I don't even remember when it ended, but probably it probably only lasted like another year or two tops after after I had jumped off. Mm. So I, I didn't get those stories where Scorpnox Punch and Shockwave until like I had already started talking to you. Oh, so wow. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, I was I was reading this in high school. I remember seeing some of the uh, Furman Wildman issues. And yeah, that was like, I'm back in. I, I wasn't collecting Transformers at the time. But yeah, they, they got me back on the series. And then I went back and collected them all. And like I said, I have two complete runs for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I think, as I think about this character, another thing that is occurring to like what my tastes were at that time I think I was really looking for what's the angle? What's the unique twist that I haven't seen before with these characters? And with Scorponok, it's like he's big and he's manipulative, right? He's big and he's like the seething, we're not seething even, he's just like the calm, calculating, finger-steepling character. And yeah. that didn't feel like there was enough of a bump in any kind of like odd direction the way with Mind Wipe, right? And again, as a kid, I didn't really care for Mind Wipe either. But I'm just saying, like, as I'm looking back, like, what, you know, I just came across a YouTube video where somebody who is, like, 10 years younger than us watched Transformers the movie for the first time. And they're talking about how much they hated Blur because of his gimmick of talking fast. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, but that's what made him so interesting to me. You know, like, there's one little quirk that they introduce that makes the character feel a little bit more unexpected. And Scorponok didn't really offer anything like that to me. I think that's part of what made me like appreciate how cool the toy looked, but not really feel like I have to save my allowance to get this guy. Yeah. And I just wanted him because he was like the biggest Decepticon. Yep. Yep. It's like a Decepticon city. Okay. Yep. You know, I don't really care what he is beyond that. He's a Decepticon city. That's interesting. Yeah. Let me have him. <laughs> and you know, it wasn't enough for me to want him so badly that I asked for him for Christmas or my birthday or anything because I didn't get him until a trade like three years later. Mm, mm. The idea of having the huge Fortress Maximus was appealing even though I was a Decepticon kid. But seeing how small Scorponok was in comparison, it was an easy choice between those two. Mm. Now it's like the rebirth ends and it's like, oh, what's going to happen? Who's going to lead these guys? Is it Zarek or is it Galvatron? And that proposes like an interesting story. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I mean, at least there's like, I mean, since season three, there's been no one like threatening to take the Decepticons away from Galvatron. I mean, Starscream kind of. Kind of. When he's a ghost. Yeah. But no, you're right. But, I, 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 to compare it to other Sunbow series. One thing that it doesn't have that really was charming in, is in the G.I. Joe series, how every miniseries introduced a new sort of contender for the Cobra throne. And they, they, were, right. they were a real contender. Like the first, what, three miniseries? 
Cobra Commander loses his job in the third act, right? He gets usurped by Destro in the first miniseries, sort of by Zartan in the second miniseries. Zartan likes, you know, does his own agenda. And then in the third one, you have the Crimson Twins, and there's even that like adorable scene where they like stand in front of the camera. You see Cobra Commander jumping up and down behind them, like trying to be seen. Yep. And yep. and then in the fourth one, Serpentor. Yeah, so. you're right. You're right. So <laughs> Cobra Commander's role was just to get walked over all the time. And so there's something, but yet we get like two whole seasons of Cobra Commander. Well, no, we get one whole season of Cobra Commander being like the boss, even though mm-hmm. Destro is always trying to push at him a little bit. The Crimson Twins are pushing at him a little bit, but Transformers really didn't have that. You had Starscream, yeah. but I mean, gosh, come on. Starscream would say, oh, I would do a better job than you. And then Megatron hits him, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea of introducing, okay, Galvatron's going to have like sort of sub forces that are sort of like trying to topple him. That could be intriguing, but yeah, yeah it, 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 it's, it comes, it comes on so fast and we get so little to understand about Zarek other than I'm steepling my fingers, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's enough of a promise to get me to go like, Oh, tell me more. So. Yeah, I think that's continued in Headmasters as well. Mm. But again, just it, everything I've seen of Headmasters and the other Japanese show, they just didn't didn't thrill me. Okay. So I'm I'm no expert on those. Hmm. But that's pretty much everyone we get in the show for the Rebirth series. But there was a couple Decepticons who David Wise just said enough <laughs> I got enough guys in here I can't be putting everyone in yeah. and those is a new concept called the Duocons which did not have an Autobot counterpart like the clones did hmm. now the Duocons were two vehicles that merged into one robot they did not have individual robot modes per vehicle so in many ways they were less than a regular Transformer yeah yeah. It took two of them to make one robot, not unlike how Reflector takes three robots to make one camera. Yeah. So it's a little strange, and you could see how these guys were the first to get cut, because you gotta explain why these guys are like this. Right. I mean, they don't have to, as evidenced by the fact that they never ever explain triple changers in this cartoon. They're just there. Yeah. But they really cry out for a story reason. Like, why are these two vehicles, why do they have to merge to be one robot? Why can't they each be a robot? Or why can't it be one robot that triple changes? It's just like they figured out every possible iteration of Transformers in 1987. They're like, we're doing them all. (laughs) We're we're doing two vehicles that turn into one robot. Yeah. We're doing triple changer horror cons that are beasts and jets. Anything they came up with, they're like sold, green light. Yeah. Yep. And the two duo cons are Battle Trap and Flywheels. Battle Trap is a gray helicopter and a blue truck. Mm -hmm. And Flywheels is a sort of maroon jet and a green tank. And the vehicle is just sort of like. Like the flying vehicle lands on the land vehicle and you sort of like plug them in 
kind of, and then they sort of flip up into their robot mode. Yeah, so it also has like a little bit of like the jump starters and the battle chargers kind of yeah, gimmick yeah. to it, where it's like instant transformation, which is a mixed bag, right? It's it's a fun mm-hmm. thing to play with, but like there's something that feels intrinsically less than when you aren't right. actually because their robot modes are basically just like wheeled, mm-hmm. so. It's like the whole bottom is like a vehicle. (laughs) So they're not like normal guys walking around. Now, these guys did get remade around the time of Titan's return. And they basically got elevated a little because of the technology had improved so much. Battle Trap, weirdly, they do make into two fully transforming vehicles. Hmm. And he comes out first. But then they do flywheels. And they're like, no, we're sticking with the old way. (laughs) So they're at least like going down a lot of these old roads again with the newer toys. I wouldn't say there was a lot to go on here. And I think I read that in the comics, they were just triple changers or something. Hmm. Like they didn't even bother to either figure out that they were not typical triple changers. Because I imagine like the writers and artists were just like given like, here's a shot of the robot mode. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's a shot of the vehicles. So they just might have just assumed that the vehicles turned into one another. I don't know. Again, I'm not a comics expert. Yeah. But it just seems like any concept that someone came up with in 1987 was just greenlit. Oh, no. Yeah. The image that you're conjuring is that uh, uh, Key and Peel sketch where they're doing Gremlins 2. It's like, can I have a gremlin with really goofy eyes? You can have a goofy gremlin with goofy eyes. Can I have a girl gremlin? Yeah, you can have a sexy girl gremlin. Whatever. I forget all the, the specific instances. But yeah, it's like this kind of like wild anything goes kind of meeting that generates gremlins too. <laughs> but yeah, like, can I have two vehicles that turn into one robot? So it's kind of like a combiner, but there's no original robot modes. That sounds great. <laughs> did, did you have either of them? As a kid, no, but as I grew to my teens i think i definitely at least had battle trap interesting i may have had flywheels i've got the titan return version of both okay because i liked the idea of duocons and i wanted to explore it more but maybe we'll talk a bit about that next time All right. in the fanfic nice. episode. i i did have flywheels and i think i bought him when i was in high school this would have been mm-hmm. about the time when i had a part-time job had my own money found him on clearance and I don't remember his exact tech specs, but I remember there was something about how each vehicle had its own personality. And when they combined mm. into his robot mode, the, the those two personalities were in conflict. Now as a teenager who, you know, mm. this is like the height of Batmania when the, the Michael Keaton <laughs> Batman movie came out and Joker was cool again. And the idea of like mm. a madness character, mental illness characters. I'm also in high school. <laughs> Kurt Cobain is a thing. Everybody's really excited about like brooding emotionally imbalanced people as being like more intriguing and, and alluring. So I was attracted to that idea. Like when I was his text, I'm like, that sounds really cool. But what I also think is really interesting is that his vehicle mode can like go and attack on two fronts, both sky and mm-hmm. land and same thing with yeah. battle trap, but also they could like move away from each other. So it's not just like one vehicle mode. Like there's something more, adaptive about having two vehicle modes at once even then a triple changer mm. right so like yeah. that that came to mind when i saw the toy i'm like that's that sounds like be a really cool battle idea but yeah i guess yeah. i mean i can't i can't argue with that yeah 
I guess that's sort of the appeal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it, it, I mean, they're basically a transformer who can be in two places at once. Right. Right. So, but now we get to a chicken and egg thing, which came first, the, 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 the Mm -hmm. two vehicle modes from the one robot mode or the one robot mode from the two vehicle modes. And that's where the origin story gets like really interesting. Like, yeah, I'll be curious to hear what your fanfic was about these guys. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. There was something about Battle Trap that I was like, yeah, even though he turns into a, like a truck that looks more familiar to what we would have been seeing on the roads back then, and even the mm. even the helicopter mode does to a degree. Yeah. It looks kind of like Blue Thunderish, you know. <laughs> so, but it, there was something about those two that just made me like, eh, nah, I'll I'll take flywheels instead. <laughs> so, once again, like it just feels like 1987 just gave us this cornucopia of promise in so many different directions that it almost felt like hallucinogenic. But then, <laughs> like we're like, well, where's it gonna go? And everything just stopped. Right. Yeah. I wish we could like learn more about that because you would think, I mean, granted three years is a long time for a toy line Mm -hmm. and granted Transformers was probably going down in the ratings every year, Mm -hmm. but it, it just seems like it still would have been enough of a juggernaut to have warranted like a full fourth season rather than just three episodes. I mean, obviously I'm not saying I know better than Sunbow and Claster <laughs> or any of that. Of course not. But you would just think that, I mean, essentially Transformers was canceled mm-hmm. after three years. Mm-hmm. The show, not the toy line. Right. And that's kind of surprising. I mean, I don't know. I I guess it would be interesting to see the numbers. Like, how much money did the 1984 line do? And what about the 1985 line? What about the 1986 right. line? You know, and if, if it's just going down and down and down and down, then I guess you could see where they pull the plug. But if you think about, like, what else was around in 87? I mean, what's really giving Transformers a run for its money? Nintendo, I mean, wasn't it? Well, Yeah. And I, I think that's the problem is I'm only looking like at other cartoons. Yeah. And I think Nintendo had really seeped into the American fabric at that point. Yeah. And I mean, I know it did for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a toy historian. I would defer to other people on this, but it it does seem like Nintendo's were a pretty big ticket item. So you're not going to have much mm-hmm. room left in the budget for other things for a lot of families. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean your typical Nintendo game back in the day was at least thirty dollars, right? And yeah. thirty dollars was like more than most of these would have been. Like I think Scorponok was maybe fifty, and I want to say like Six Shot was maybe thirty. So most of the Transformers of nineteen eighty seven were under thirty bucks. But if you really want Nintendo games instead, you know that's gonna eat up mm-hmm. your money real quick right yeah i mean like we had an nes and uh, we my parents got the set that just came with the one game mario i don't even think they mm-hmm. got the kind with the light gun so we didn't even have duck hunt so I mean, we started out with just like one game for like probably two years <laughs> hmm. but like you think about a family who's gonna be like okay i'm gonna get a nintendo i'm gonna get like three games four games to go with this thing mm-hmm. already that's like an enormous amount of money to spend at the time where it's like, okay, well, am I also going to get Scorponok? I don't know, you know? So right. 
I, I could see it being like the writing was on the wall by production time of the mini. I mean, the fact they even cut down on the, the miniseries from five episodes to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling they were, they were getting the signal that, oh, oh, things are drying up in the toy world or there's disruption happening. There's a ripple in the toy market, you know, and mm-hmm. I sense a great disturbance in the toy market. Yeah. It's Nintendo. And yeah, I mean, and I don't know how it is in the toy world, but I imagine it's not dissimilar from the comics world in that stakeholders are, they can be very risk averse and fickle. And when they sense a trend is ending, you know, they like start panicking over where's the next trend going to come from. So, yeah. But again, this is all conjecture on my part because I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm not a toy historian, but it seems like I've watched enough documentaries that have sort of pointed in that direction that I have to think that that Nintendo at least had something to do with it. Cause, yeah. cause it does feel like 87. It's like the, just like this explosion of creative franchises just came to like an abrupt end. Mm-hmm. And they were definitely throwing everything at the wall. Then like you have brave star, mm-hmm. you have visionary air raiders. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, they were definitely trying, Yeah, but just none of it was sinking in and it would have would be interesting to see what any of those things had had nintendo not existed had the nintendo entertainment system not ever been made Mm -hmm. and video games did not make that comeback in the 80s would the one season toy lines like visionaries and brave star and all those would those have done better Mm. just because kids wouldn't have been distracted by video games Mm -hmm. Would we have gotten that second wave of visionaries? Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because, but fun to think about. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, it also depends on on what was happening in politics at the time too. Because, like, the reason we even got this was because of Ronald Reagan lifting all of those limitations on advertising to children. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of forces that could have made things happen drastically different. But yeah, it would have been wild to watch the Transformers series sort of iterate on itself in story as well as in toys, because yeah, for the next couple of years, mm-hmm. we still got more stuff happening from the toy line. Yeah. The comic lasted, you know, well past the action masters. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to see how like action masters and the double target masters, whoever they were, they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they had not just one target master gun, but two. Well, and, and the, the power masters. That was another thing. Yeah. Power masters and Opti- Optimus prime as a power master. That would have been mm-hmm. a fun thing to see on the show. Yeah. Well, but for now we have talked about every character who appeared on the generation one cartoon. Mm-hmm. So dust your hands, my friend. Wow. What an <laughs> undertaking. Yeah, it still amazes me that we've covered all 98 episodes <laughs> and basically talked about every single character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we didn't go into detail on the Nebulans, but hey. Uh, that would They're just little green people to me. Yeah. I, I mean, the fact that... <laughs> what's his... I forget Chrome Dome's partner where he just says, I'll take Chrome Dome. That's Stylor, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, there's not much to go on there. But, yeah, Hoover, clap you on the back. Thank you for going on this <laughs> long journey with me and, and helping me, you know, sort of, I don't know. I don't want You got a new favorite Decepticon yeah. out of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I appreciate the show and the characters in it a lot more than I did 
even before, after 25 years of talking on the phone. So where could we go from here? Well, this is not the last episode. Not yet. Next episode is our mailbag episode, which we mentioned quite a few times. So if you've sent in a letter recently, you're probably going to be read on the show. That's right. Yeah, we're asking everybody to email us at 4millionyearslater at gmail.com with your favorite Transformers memories, something you've you know observed about this project, the podcast itself, and uh, what Transformers you had and why you liked it. We've gotten some really great emails that have given us some mm-hmm. alternate points of view. Of yep. like One in particular that I'm going to hint at but not spoil is someone kind of took us to task for our uh, assessment of Springer and said, this is how I saw the character from where I was standing. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, Oh, okay. I could see how you'd see him that way. I totally can. Mm-hmm. Right. And another listener was talking about how the headmasters and target masters are really exciting to them. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can totally see that. And again, as we said, they were just a smidgen younger than us. Yep. Yep. So that makes all the difference sometimes. Yeah. And so I'm glad to hear those things. I'm I'm not presenting these ideas of mine like my opinions are correct and yours are wrong (laughs) unless you don't like skylinks and then you're just wrong (laughs) but i am glad other people like the things that i don't like because can you imagine a world where something was produced and nobody liked it Mm -hmm. no one in the entire world that's just a sad situation Mm. so if there's things out there that i don't like i'm always glad that they're for somebody yeah yeah, I'm with you. All right. So if you want to be, oh gosh, who am I going to compare them to this time, Hoover? <laughs> if you want to be a yellow wolf who screams with promise and <laughs> and you want that promise to be heard and seen by the world and not be cut from the dialogue, go write a few nice things about this podcast wherever you interact with people on whatever, whether it's Reddit, whether it's Mastodon, whether it's that new thing called Hive, which the moment that came out, I was like, really? It's called The Hive? <laughs> Any of those places, let people know about this podcast. You know, if you haven't given us a rating on the Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, that would be nice too. It just sends a signal into the world and those signals matter. So thanks to everybody who does support us in that way. Hoover, is there anything they can do that will get them to part with money? Well, we have a T Public shop with a few different designs in there of of concepts we've come up with over over the three years we've been doing this podcast. And it's my hope that it will be sort of an ongoing thing once the podcast is quote-unquote finished. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're closing the garage doors and, and wrapping it up. The podcast regular episodes will be ending basically by the end of the year. However, we want this to be a sort of evergreen type thing. We want new listeners to find out about us now that we're, you know, basically done. Yeah. I would love to hear that people just discovered us and they're on like episode two now. Mm -hmm. That would be great. You know, we always took this content and talked about it in a way as it being sort of evergreen stuff like it doesn't matter when you're listening it -hmm. it doesn't matter that you listen to like episode 16 in 2020 it doesn't matter what year it was you know you may be like oh maybe you're listening in 2052 and you're like oh this is just an audio podcast there's no holography (laughs) in it lame (laughs) i mean maybe you're like that but we hope 
this continues to get listeners as it goes on. And if I'm still receiving feedback on this podcast, you know, five years from now, I'll be glad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the other reason not to remove it from your feed is that Hoover and I have ideas for other things to do with it, mm-hmm. but we just, we need time to really sit and process and like really imagine what it could be. We don't want to just jump into something. We're definitely going to be back. It probably won't be on a regular basis as this has been, but we're going to be back for little specials. Ah, so there just you go. keep us in your feed. Yeah. And we'll even play the, the bongo drum intro. So you know that something special is going to happen. all right well this show drops on thursdays at four million years later.com and we'll be back again with our mailbag episode until then i have been jersey drozd of four million years later.com and rss.jdrozd.com for everything i make and i have been hoover okay bye goodbye Episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net. The closing theme is by Nick Mahalik, based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-mahalik. That's spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dash M-E-H-A-L-I-C-K. Find us on Facebook under 4 million years later and you can email us at 4 million years later at gmail.com visit 4 million years later.com and if you haven't yet please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts you know how it works <laughs>